Join the revolution. Fuck it. The fuck it button is the power button. Everyone has a fuck it button, but no two fuck it buttons are the same. Say no to fear, overthinking, shame and judgment. Life is short. Fuck it. This podcast explores when guests have, wish they had, would and could press their fuck it button. I'm Zoe Lem and this is the Fuck It Button. Jackie Power, aka The Therapeutic Poet, is an addiction psychologist, poet, creator and host of the Therapeutic Poet podcast. After years of working with clients to unpack, understand and evolve through their addictions and traumas, she found another medium to express her thoughts, ideas and observations of life, human behaviour and her own life challenges in the theme of poetry. An art form that uses carefully chosen words, sentences and phrases to analyse, summarise and play on circumstances, conditions and occurrences. Jackie has not only juggled her private work, her creativity, motherhood and her life challenges, she's also performed in two one-woman shows titled Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. Me too. (laughs) In an epic performance at Edinburgh Festival, she's also a finalist at the IAN Book Awards. Her mission to give us all permission to feel has led her on a journey of writing, creating, performing and ultimately facing her own fears. Welcome to the podcast, Jackie. Thanks, Zoe. Who is that woman? Who is that <laughs> fabulous human? Did it sound like you? Um, it's a bit funny when you put it all like that, isn't it? It's like, oh, that's what I've been up to. Do. <laughs> it sounds, I mean, we're not very good at um, sort of blowing our own trumpets and kind of celebrating our own achievements that much, are we? And uh no, I've had to actually put up, I call it my celebration station, which I is love a, that. my celebration <laughs> station, which is, a, which is a notice board. And that's so not a I... sweetie corner of celebrations that you go and eat. Well, I might add that to it. There might be a little pouch, <laughs> little pouch of Mars bars. But no, it's so it's like if I get like, you know, a nice testimonial or a client saying thank you or anything like that I put it up because it's easy it's hard doing stuff on your own isn't it and you know I need cheerleaders so you do and I think it must be difficult I mean I say difficult um, challenging I would imagine going from kind of you know you spend a lot of time with clients helping them work through their own circumstances or um, situations and you're kind of almost a kind of guide I guess slash cheerleader of other people but you're also navigating your own career and creativity and life do you know I mean I, I do, do you sometimes kind of I get oh, the, the celebration station is great but but how do you then keep yourself kind of I guess on track you know when you're spending your dedicating your time to helping other people Oh, is that, I think it's a whole bunch of things. I think definitely knowing my limits. So I've had to reduce down the amount of time because I, I get very excited about stuff. And I'm, I like what, I think it's Marie Folio or whatever her name is. Marie, what's her name? You know, the one, 
in the States anyway. And she, she talks about being a multi-passionate entrepreneur. I'm definitely wow. multi-passionate. So yeah. um, it's getting more limited. I think it's being, having a real passion for what I am involved in. I mean, when seeing clients, it's clearly having supervision because I need to be able to kind of process what's going on there. And then having my own kind of practice stuff that I'm not very good at routine. I know, you know, the whole idea, get up, yoga, meditation thing, that I cannot be that kind of a person, unfortunately. Um, So what I do is off the hoof. So, <laughs> so it's like, you know, you say about mindfulness, but actually mindfulness, I mean, I, I find going for a walk and I've got so many random pictures on my phone of like an ant's nest or a slug or a leaf, because taking, like really noticing in those kind of moments, I think is, is um, very helpful. So, so being present, kind being of present it, and really yeah. being in the moment. Um yeah of what I'm experiencing and just and I think I'm much more in tune now physically with when I'm exhausted or and 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 actually doing my own emotional work has made me want to nurture myself more I I when I discovered I had a needy part of myself I you know I had wanted to stamp her out for years because we all have a needy part right but that but that vulnerable part I had you know put lots of layers on so she was totally smothered so actually unlayering all of those layers and finding her and liking her and wanting to take care of her so she's my number one priority so maybe that leads us quite nicely into our first question of understanding what makes you tick and so what brings you happiness and joy? Is it looking after her or is what what brings you joy? Like I was thinking about this because um, I know you sort of you sent me the questions beforehand. Thank you for that. I don't know if that's a if that's a secret, but thank you for that. Not really. Um, to be honest, it's a template for every episode. So if yeah, you no, haven't been looking not anymore. Then, not anymore. <laughs> not a secret anymore. It was a secret. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's helpful to know like what you know what I need to think about. Um, and I was thinking that my first response was actually going to be the relationship I've got with my kids um, because they're all very different and it brings me a lot of joy and that they're definitely sort of a priority in my life. But I was thinking, yeah, but they've not been around all my life. So where did I find happiness before them? And it was through writing. It is, okay. I mean, I get so much joy and happiness from writing and from coming up with funny little sayings and, you know, that's what brings Have me so you- much joy. So the, the so that everyone completely understands. So your your career has been as a therapist. The poetry has that has the writing always taken the form of poetry, or has that been a latter sort of combination and kind of that and how that synergy of like I mean it's not an obvious one I'm sure for like, you know poetry and therapy, but as but but as you say like writing is therapy and. Um, mm. And being able to, you know, it's like comedy almost, that kind of, whether it's satiring or kind of observing, it is a form of unpacking, understanding, lightening in all different ways, isn't it? Oh, totally. I mean, so I always say like the black, the blank page is the best therapist you can ever have because it doesn't judge. It's not got its own baggage that it's bringing to the page. Like it's, you can put it, you know, <laughs> you can put it out there and, 
and each day that you come back to it it will be different because you're different yeah. so um I mean and you know before I was a therapist I worked in advertising I worked in websites I've had many different sort of careers but I I mean, I, you know, I always say like the first poem that I wrote was an anti-drugs rap when I was 11, because I had to write an anti-drugs thing for homework. And it was, yeah, it was, a, it was, a, so it's kind of weird that I ended up being an addict, you know, being an addiction. Um, but it, it, no, the, the writing has always been there because I needed a place where I felt witnessed, where I felt seen. And I didn't emotionally get that, um, kind of feedback if you like growing up so for me it was a place where it I felt validated did it become almost like a kind of, sort of best friend you know it's like some people sort of almost have like an imaginary friend is the is the page almost that 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 combination of almost comfort blanket blanket expression and and I, I don't know as you say like daily practice it's something that just becomes a part of you well exactly it, it is a part of me it's an extension of me I, I mean and I could not I, you know in the writing world lots of people say you know why do you write and what I, I write because I can't not like it is you know it like I mean I would find anything to write on or I would try and memorize things and yeah because um, I'm all things are always ticking over in in my brain and is it it in that ticking over of, of the ideas, is it um, always or sometimes based on observations of life? Is it imaginary? Is it how does that sort of transform? You know, is it kind of. But it's, um, it's all of those things which make yeah. it so wonderful. So I, yeah. wrote, I wrote a poem called Labels, which was after having clients, client after client come in, having been diagnosed with various disorders. And no one was saying to them, well, what's happened to you? What, you know, and they sort of dismiss, oh, well, but at this age, blah, 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 happened or at this age, blah, blah. And there was always a common story of trauma underneath, you know, and I know that's a word that gets banded around a lot, but, um, you know, we all have it, right? So it was, it was, that was always there. And I had this frustration of why are these people all coming through as if they're disordered, as something's wrong with them. Whereas actually, if you looked at it in the context of their, you know, their behavior, understandable responses dealing with what they were dealing with. So yeah. it can be like that. It can be kind of um, helping me process something. It can be my untold stories. It's really interesting. I wrote, well, I think it is anyway. I wrote, um, <laughs> what can I judge I'm so interesting. Um, I wrote a poem called Homeless Bum, which I wrote after um, seeing a memorial in Austin, Texas to all of the people who had died on the streets who were homeless. And it's called, go on, you're right, walk on, I'm just a homeless bum. And I um, used it recently in one of my own podcasts with somebody. But afterwards, I thought about that and thought, wow, that poem actually is about all of my untold stories. And I've got a line in there that says, you know, my untold story is so bloody disgusting. I don't know, so bloody disgusting, something and gory, you know, like me. Because mm. like that, like, so poetry, there's a lot of that I've written that I wouldn't share or yeah. that I share that using metaphor that, so okay so what I'm saying is one thing and what you might be reading from it is something completely different so yeah. that helps me to kind of feel like I'm processing it um you know in a certain way and then it's also I think it's also a great thing for connection like when I share I love performing and I love sharing poetry and the way that that 
connects with people um and t- and telling a story I, yeah and telling other people's untold stories like when my friend was had cancer and she it was in covid it was in lockdown it's flipping nightmare she was having a, a horrendous time no one could see her so i'd write her these um poems and send them as voice notes to her and i think that was my it's my sort of love language if you like without them being love poems necessarily <laughs> yeah well i guess you know you said that um, the writing helps you to feel heard but I guess when you're then writing about other people you're kind of it's yeah as you say it's an acknowledgement to other people that they've been heard and that you see them and you kind of are there do, do you think that um, expressing your feelings and thoughts through the writing is is a way of it's obviously it's a way of communicating do you think that you use does it at all and this is quite weird saying that talking to therapists because I'm like, I don't know whether there's like another analogy of it, but that in communicating through poetry or through writing, does that avoid having to have sort of straight conversations sometimes about it? Is it is there any level of a without not surprising you, but avoidance of the actual conversations to to express it through through expressive no. writing or poetry, or is it not, just an extension of it? I think it can be a precursor to those conversations. Yeah. Actually, I think there's been times when I no, it's definitely that that um some of the poetry is definitely a conversation with myself. So it's not it's not a case of me needing to communicate that to somebody else. It's like yeah. um there's some bits and I don't know if you feel this, you know, like there's some bits that even if you share them you're not going to get the response you want, which can be those shameful parts. Because when when someone's deep in their shame, the worst thing we can do is say anything. <laughs> Actually, I think apart from what they say to us. So, so when someone's in deep shame and they say, oh, this is terrible, I feel so blah, blah, you know, just saying that back to them can be really helpful. If you start to say, oh, dear, or all oh, that sort of, their shame will take over and kind yeah. of twist that into into creating more shame you know when it's yeah. that toxic toxic shame yeah so I think for me is you know I have got toxic shame you know whoopee on different things <laughs> so yeah. it helps me to process that to get it into a space where if I share this with somebody and they have a response that isn't the ideal response for me I will not be shattered by that I have done enough work in that yeah to be able to now share it so it's kind of the opposite I think yeah, I think it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? And I think I, you know, my journey, um, sort of looking at, you know, I guess the idea of even like expectations. And I think, as you say, when you say, when you express your shame to someone, you might not get the response you want. But I think also on the other side of that, when you express things that have happened to you that are good, and if you don't get, if you're, I, I read something, and I, it might have been Benny Brown, but like if you, if you need someone to hear, um or to celebrate your achievements or wins don't tell someone else to get any level of validation because you're not going to get the response and it's going to actually probably ruin the the achievement or celebration that you know self-pride or or um gratitude because they're not going to feel the same way you do and and if you need them to almost quantify it then then don't say it for that reason it's just totally. I guess it's having expectations isn't it and I suppose it's whether it's the shame or that you know if you're looking to someone to 
give you there's another thing I read, read so much stuff is that if you have to ask more than three people's opinion on a topic that's not you needing help it's needing attention yeah well okay I'm gonna try and hold both of those things the first <laughs> thing I can write I've written about that because I experienced that because when I when I started the podcast and um my husband didn't listen to it I don't I'm not sure I don't think he's ever listened to it and I was like this but you know, yeah and I but I went she's like but uh, how can like you should listen to it you know and um luckily I have a really good relationship with my husband where we can sort these things through and I was like I'm really pissed off that you haven't listened to it <laughs> I mean as we talked it through I realized yes that I have this little girl inside me that's dying to be validated and please husband will you turn around and validate me in that way and actually what he did was witness the little girl in me that's dying to be validated and say yeah. I'm really sorry that that's really shit that you've got that bit that never didn't get that in the way that you needed as a kid and that's still mm. kicking about so and then actually what that led to is then when I did Edinburgh because people were saying to me well isn't he coming up to Edinburgh isn't he supporting you and I was like um no should he be but we'd had that conversation and he said look I don't want to come up to I'll have the three kids in tow you like you need to concentrate you do your thing so I so I went off to Edinburgh he went off on holiday with the with the, the kids for a week and we both had a brilliant time yeah. so that sort of that independence but that comes back from knowing myself well and um, and you know writing on that and, and sort of trudging through going okay if, what is that sort of you know reaction all about yeah. and then the and then the asking people's opinion thing you know, I've also had that. And that's why I wrote, don't let the naysayers be your dream slayers, burning your yeah. fantasies with their dragon breathed out. Because um, again, about the podcast, I remember saying to someone, oh, I'm going to stop. And they went, oh, you're starting a podcast. What do you want to start a podcast? You and every with? other bucket. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's starting a podcast. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I just sort of went, oh. <laughs> you know, and it was like, and the answer was because I want to talk to people. And I am hearing conversations that people are having that I'm not a part of and I want to be a part of them yeah and that's it I, well I think um so on the husband and the Edinburgh thing I think it's it's having that I mean it's great that you've got that level of communication understanding with each other and I think it's you know it's almost that conversation that because I'm haven't listened to the podcast or I haven't come to Edinburgh that does not mean I love you any less or care or are less proud of you I just don't need to that's not my thing I don't need to, and you're I'm looking after kids and I think that's that's it isn't it it's like if you if you take the them not listening as oh they're not interested in anything I do within your head and they're not having that conversation that's different isn't it but actually it doesn't necessarily mean that um and I think it's yeah it's um but, but also you know I just one. yeah because also I don't say to my husband show me your powerpoint <laughs> show me that powerpoint you did in that board presentation this week come on I need to sit like it's all right for us to have yeah, independent yeah. lives but to be interdependent as well yeah, and, yeah. and what anyone else thinks of that is really not our business like we we get yeah. to agree how we work together but that's that does take some level of I mean, you're a therapist. Therapy. But it, it does take some <laughs> level of of acceptance, self worth, and 
and stability in who you are and your own worth and values doesn't it to feel like that because that's not necessarily natural for everyone no we didn't level of kind of and we didn't start out in that place like we have both worked really hard to be in that place that is not where we started out no just to be clear no, just so everyone's like, like oh my god we not like that. we didn't so, like spring out of a toadstool each and go you know let's oh my god we're so proud and love each other like, yeah, yeah. no so I want to ask you on the flip side of understanding what makes you happy and brings you joy what brings you stress anxiety and worry oh well <laughs> I well, have like top top 10 no yeah I know <laughs> We live in such a happy, delightful society. What on earth could I think about? So I've had a, I've had a death phobia since I was about ten. Okay. Um, so the thought I was and I the thought of dying, the thought of not existing, is a really tricky concept for me. And you know, I know there's lots of other different sort of possibilities of realms and all sorts and things. Um, but that you know, I, I have really struggled with that. Um, did that come I, from somewhere did that come from think situations it, growing up or yeah I think it losing did losing people so my grandmother um one Christmas died so she had so she was staying in my bed and she had a heart attack and she was then taken to hospital and then that night okay. I was back in that bed <laughs> you know? wow okay yeah that's and I think I was good. I think I was also being a little bit of a drama queen I was I think I was also going then into the playground and saying well my grandmother just died in my bed which wasn't true but I think I managed to kind of you know help that neural pathway on its way so that has um and it get and sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's not but again I've done a lot of um a lot of work on that a lot of kind of sort of sense of you know nervous system safety if you like has that been tested much over the years since turn of, of having situations or people that, you know, has kind of sent you to the place of challenging that idea? Um, yeah. So when I was, yes, there's been various different things, but I think one that really sticks out was when I was 20 and I was living in Spain. So I was on Erasmus, the Erasmus course, which um, used to be a thing. Um, and was studying in Spain for a year and my friend um, killed herself while we were out there and I was the last person to be with her so I'd gone round the night before both her flatmates weren't back from because it was after Christmas they weren't back from England and she was in a you know she'd just been diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder and um, she had loads of antidepressants and she was in a state and I said to her well, I'll stay with you tonight. You know, I'll, I'll stay here. And then she seemed to perk up and, um, and I hadn't yet sort of even unpacked. So I said, look, you know, and I hadn't seen my landlady. So I said, you know what, actually, if you're okay, I'll go, I will go back to my flat. I'll unpack and I'll see you in the morning. And the next morning I got a call to say she'd taken an overdose. Oh God, that's really. Yeah. And that was, and so it, it was, it was horrendous because um, I had to go to the hospital um you know see and the, they use the word which means she's passed away <laughs> it's, like, it's not funny but it kind of is also because it was like I was like racking my brains like so they were using the euphemism she's passed away rather than she's dead right mm, yeah and I was like what oh god I was trying to translate what does that mean what and then I realized and the, the shock of oh uh, all right that's that's what's happened and having to you know meet her dad at the airport 
and um, go back to her flat and clear up the remnants of her, you know, the the, the fallout of her taking an overdose. And um, yeah, that's really heavy. Okay. Yeah. That's heavy. I mean, did that, um, obviously you said that the, the sort of fear began when you were quite young. I mean, that's certainly not going to help, is it? That's like, did no. that make it worse or do you... Uh, you know. I think do you know I think it's a, I think it's almost like a weird panic attacky type thing so yeah. although there might be these I think it's really this sense of abandonment I think it's more than just these two kind of events and that's linked to me having this death thing I think it's more deep rooted in that in emotional abandonment and stuff so um I don't think that that made things worse necessarily although it certainly wasn't dealt with in a very good way at the time. I mean, there was no support from the university. I mean, they, they, I basically came back and they said, well, you've got to go back out within two weeks, otherwise you're going to fail your degree. That's really understanding, isn't it? Yeah. And there was no, there was no, the only counselling that there was, you know, like the student, like the trainee student counsellors. And I remember sort of being on the phone because I was desperate and they, um, yeah, it was just not very good. So, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry about that. That's, yeah. I mean, so th does that fear um, kind of impact day to day? Or is that, is that something that... I think it's definitely, it, it used to. I mean, I would have sort of, you know, there'd be a few sessions within a day where I would just have this, like, massive panic of kind of annihilation. That's the only way I can kind of describe it. Um, I think as I, you know, I've done loads of kind of trauma work and stuff like that on myself. And I think as I've done that, it's definitely, definitely alleviated. But now it's more in, you know, I, I still, I still have anxieties around sort of the idea of Armageddon. Like, is it going to be climate change or is it going to be bomb dropping? Like, you know what I mean? So I have to, I have to kind of, I, it, I can easily catastrophize. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say catastrophize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I have to keep that in check. So, uh, just want to ask you your first memory of pressing your bucket button. Now, the conscious bucket button, um, the the saying no to fear, permission to live. You may not have known at the time, but do you have a memory of when you've kind of, within all of the different stuff of life, have kind of said, fuck it, like, I'm going to, I guess it's kind of, it might be a small or big thing. It's kind well, yeah, of it's like fuck it choosing life, really, rather than kind of, you know. Well, it's interesting because I was thinking through this and I was like, oh, that's my earliest memory. And there's like, oh no, that's my earliest memory. And <laughs> quite and then I got quite perfectionistic about it. It was like, that's not a good enough first, <laughs> first memory. Oh fuck it. So I've had a whole process around this this morning. Um yeah. I think my first one was uh when I was when I had been going out with someone and we finished but we still liked each other and he lived quite far away about 40 miles away and I lied to my parents and we and they'd gone away for the weekend and my brother was going to be looking after me and I 
and I sort of told them I was going somewhere else and I ended up like in Wales at a horse race <laughs> so I could see this guy in a and horse the, race or at a horse no at, at the horse race because it was like a point to point because it was Cheshire that's a real fucking like, yeah. I'm gonna ride a horse I'm gonna win a competition that's what I'm gonna do this weekend <laughs> so that but so that doesn't and then this and then the second one was being head girl at school because I was all you know I was that good girl and um never going to the pub at lunchtime in sixth form where all my mates did and then when it was my 18th birthday and I said right I'm gonna I'm gonna go and we went and I came back and the school there was no one in the school at all it was dead and I hadn't signed out to say where I was going or anything so I you know I would have been in trouble and there'd been a bloody bomb scare <laughs> so, so it's like, you weren't even missed <laughs> Well, actually, it was the opposite because I wouldn't have been missed, but they had taken a roll call of exactly oh, where everyone God. else because it was a bomb scare. You know? So, yeah. So, so, so they're your early. So, what early. about a biggest? What's the biggest? I mean, you you've said that you've had I a few do. different careers and yes. you've moved from you know quite dramatically moved from industry to industry almost. Yeah. Um, I mean, because how long have you been a therapist now? What, uh, where are we? Nearly 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So in this portfolio lifestyle, yeah. passionate portfolio lifestyle, I mean, what for you, what's the biggest? What's been the biggest moment of like, this is, this is, this is the change. This is for me. This is felt like the biggest game changer, biggest fuck it button um there's quite a few but I think probably estranging myself from family members which okay. isn't to do with work but yeah okay yeah so tell me tell me about let me write a poem um <laughs> you can yeah, draw a picture or write a poem <laughs> I was You're contemplating like, I was contemplating chickening out and going down the well, you know, when I when I've resigned, like dramatically in different in different conditions. But I think this is, I you know, I think this is something well, from the heart. If this is, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, and I think it's something important to talk about because you know, estrangement affects one in five families, but it's not something that's ever talked about. Yeah. And mine has been a very painful, um, considered approach, and. Um, I'm always I've, I don't really talk about it and I'm wary of talking about it because it involves other people's lives so um, and I'm you know I'm sensitive to that I wouldn't want anyone to feel like I was doing their life and their story a disservice but yeah. it got but sort of talking about it from my own perspective and what made me push that was with these people I had gone back and said actually you know, this behavior is harmful to me and there's previous behavior that's been harmful to me and um, I need you to stop that. And if you don't understand why you need to stop that, you know, I need you to go to kind of therapy, which sounds a bit controlly, I get that. But it was a case of in order for us to be in relation, that mm. behavior needs to stop. If you're telling me that, like, I just need to get over you doing that behavior, I, I that's that's a hard no for me. Yeah. So the way I can see through this is you kind of understanding why that might be harmful for me. And they decided not to. Do you think, I mean, because I'm now like two years of 
doing therapy and after waiting a really long time on some of the subjects like losing my brother you know mm. that was at 14 and there's been various other things along the way a little collection of of, of traumas along the way um mm. you know including bankruptcy bulimia and all these different things so I've waited a really long time and it's been a really deep dive and a heavy journey on all accounts but obviously when you you're not over it and you don't stop and I'm still having therapy I just mm. had it this morning yeah. <laughs> um so uh you know when you get to that point do you do you think I mean I I find that having done a lot of work on myself whatever we call it um it does become more challenging in situations relationships conversations if it's very clear other people haven't at all um and even you know sort of closer to home that's something we're kind of going through it's how do you navigate that and now obviously this was a for you you become quite good at saying what you need it's not even telling someone else how to be is it's not telling yeah. someone what they need to be it's you you begin to understand your own boundaries and what you need don't you when you do the work on yourself yeah and I guess you might be in the same relationships you do the work and you understand what you need and who you are but then the people that are in the situations with you if they've not done the work yeah they've not done any change and yeah. as you said the situation's still there and that they haven't evolved their mindset at all it's it's quite challenging isn't it because it's almost like you do your work but unless the people around you or in relationships do it is impossible I mean I'm like I said, it's very topical for me at the moment yeah I think um, I think it it sort of became more multi-layered so I started to understand um what I was prepared like what's non-negotiable yeah and what, deal breakers yeah and what am I prepared to um manage in some way which might be less contact or it might be um not sharing so much about myself you know what yeah. what what are the different so it would change the nuances of relationships I think but yeah. I mean one of the biggest sort of elements of grief for me has been the number of relationships that I have lost but then if you think about it do I want to be in relationship with someone when I say this is me and this is what I need they mm. say well fuck off then <laughs> well they almost say well I found that people say well this is me and then it's kind of like unless well, well that, and that's Someone fine that but that, and, that, yeah, and that and that's fine it's like you know and I think and that's what I found I found um hard because I don't ever want to control anyone else I don't ever want to be saying well in all you know and it, and it, it's such a subtle subtle difference because it's not like I'm saying to anyone um you need to change what I'm no. saying and I think this is what boundaries are about is you know I'm when I'm setting a boundary I'm saying this is how I want to be treated yeah. And if you if I'm not going to be treated in that way in relationship with you, then that means I have to abandon myself in yeah. order to be in relationship with you. And I'm just yeah. not prepared to do that anymore. And, yeah. I, and actually, I couldn't because with these particular people, it got to the stage where I was physically ill every time I saw them. Yeah. And I could not put myself through that anymore. And I had tried, you know, every every which way to try and make yeah. something work and yeah. and in, and 
yeah in the end they they have completely um dissed me and my you know credibility and what I learned and what I have studied and and everything so you kind of think well you know not for you yeah not for me and that's heartbreaking yeah. it's really yeah and no, it's really heartbreaking do you think that um the, the word for me that's come up a lot through the journey is self-worth and it's something I realize I've not had people would n- never realize that because I have an external confidence that disguises it it's one of the masks mm. one of the many masks mm. and I think that um got a and that, that. <laughs> <laughs> um I think you know that idea of um people's perception uh is one thing isn't it and then but 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 that element of you you saying t- to people I can't put myself through that it's it's a it's a worth you put on yourself isn't it it's like I'm worth more than having to deal with that or to feel like that if if there's no level of understanding or compromise in there as yeah, a, relation, a two-way relationship and I think it's quite a minefield because I think you know saying that especially in this this day and age it's easy for that in, to flip into being accused of being a narcissist you know well, yeah. well you know and and so it it's it's something that I struggle with as like what is the fine line because you know what to say no to say I value my integrity my peace of mind and your health um and my yeah and my health uh, oh my yeah. god and, and just and my re- relationships with my my immediate family and all of that um to sort of to to say that is quite anti-society I mean look yeah. what's happened you know regardless I know there's a lot about it I'm kind of it's part of me that doesn't want to mention his name but if you look at the way Prince Harry is being treated yeah and I know there's a whole bunch of other things around that but this idea that we would go against societal norms in that way in for our own safety for our own well-being is not accepted yeah do you think that's generally or do you think this country do you think it's worse or do you think it's just general human race I don't know because I haven't got the I've only got my no. own personal experience really yeah, yeah. um and yeah I I think sort of culturally we don't have a space for this kind of grief yeah. you know as in as in this is a, a loss and Pauline Boss calls this ambiguous loss like it's this loss that okay so there's a psychological presence but there's a physical absence you know yeah. um it's a bit like divorce there's no ritual around divorce either mm. you know, there's no ritual there's no validation of your feelings there's there's none of that part of the experience and that makes it incredibly hard to move on because yeah. you're grieving and it's a living grief yeah. You know? And I and I think that's probably universal. Yeah. Is, yeah. It's a really tricky one, isn't it? And it's it's um you know, obviously it's a minefield. And I guess for you for you, you've got your professional head and then your personal head of how you feel from your own circumstances, and then I guess the work with with clients. And I I do think that it's almost one of the hard hardest things of going on some level of unpacking a journey of yourself it's it's one thing being in your bubble and dealing with your own shit but then I found the hardest bit almost is then 
integrating back in and how do you you know for someone that's never had worth or really boundaries of of then sort of forming that but but then the challenge of of integrating that into relation existing relationships and 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 circumstances and and uh whether that's work or personal or um lifestyle is really tricky and and as you say because it's not telling anyone else they need to change because you can't that's that's up for everyone else but but then that almost analysis and audit of of your relationships and lifestyles is another whole process isn't it it's that whole bit of okay I now know I'm this I know that I have this self-worth I know that I want to be treated like this my values are this now this is the relationships I find myself in and and the circumstances how do you integrate and merge those two when one has been sort of in you know um it's habitual or you know it's it's been it's pre-existing bringing those two things together is really tough and it's almost I'm finding that's like a whole phase I hadn't really anticipated. Yeah, I think that I think there can be sort of a massive oscillation of like, right, I used to be like this, and now that's it. <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, and I think that's probably part of a bit of a natural process, and then you sort of find your way like a midline. I don't think it's something I could have ever done alone. I have a community of people around me, you know, yeah. that I would speak to and say you know I'm not sure about this and I hear about their experiences and yeah um, not that they were ever telling me what to do or anything like that no. but just learning through their own um experience and and hearing their kind of stories would help me figure out what it was and then also like it's a reiterative process like it's always changing so yeah. something that I might have been okay with yesterday as I develop I might not be okay with it today yeah. and and that you know um I think I've got quite good at being able to suss out whether somebody, how much elasticity there is in a relationship. Yeah. So if so, so what I did in the beginning was was like, well, I'm like this now, and this has upset me, and and um, that would cause damage to those relationships. Yeah. I think now it's like, okay, what is it that's harmful in this relationship? What can I repair in myself? You know, what about that relationship do I need to repair it about myself? And when I've done that work and come back into the relationship, what am I okay with and what not? And do yeah. I need to say that now or is that something that I can see how things go for a while? But I have to say, um, my gut is pretty good. And even if I'm there saying six months ago, uh, mm, it's, you know, I'm I'm often proven right in that because yeah, well, I, and the gut's a powerful thing isn't it we kind yeah. of we're just we're not really I mean I don't know taught or I mean it, it's not always in people's parenting style to talk about intuition and it's certainly not something that's taught at school particularly well, we're taught from so, a really young age you know think about like well, you know finish what's on your plate or um stop crying you know or don't you know don't be silly all those little messages are all like yeah. don't be yourself you're like, wrong yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well actually that, yeah that's that's certainly a theme I've been discussing today in my session a little bit and I think if as you know you said said when you were talking about your family if if the other party hasn't done any level of work or, or does or doesn't want to and and you have and then have put in these boundaries that does require some level of change of 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 the way things are or boundaries 
it can it can cause quite a lot of resentment, can't it? And it's like, well, you've changed. I've not oh changed. Oh my god, Ma- oh massive! And I'm sure my name is absolute dirt. Like I'm, I mean, I have to live with that as well. And look, it's not. And I, I think another thing that I'm very wary of is this sort of. I don't want there to be any superiority about well, I've done my work and they haven't done. No, I, I don't know what they've done, and I don't. And I'm sure that they have tried in very many different ways. But unfortunately, that that you know we 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 miss and um and I have too much um integrity in my to myself now yeah I'm just not going to abandon myself you know I've abandoned myself for years emotionally I'm not going to do it anymore yeah it was was so to my detriment I mean I ended up you know with juggernauts in my life or in cul-de-sacs like it's like I'm not doing that anymore no no, I well, I think I think having yeah, I, I think having those clear sort of boundaries of what's acceptable. So it, it, I'm realizing how important it is. I mean, navigating everything, isn't it? Um, well, I think and just and just one other thing. I think the the real key, apart from being physically, the real key point for me was when there was an interaction and something was said, and I went into freeze, and I couldn't protect my children in that situation, and I realized. I really oh like I like this it's not just me I'm going to be passing this on to my kids and that yeah. was the that was when the fuck it button got pressed yeah yeah well that's that's a big one isn't it I think it's the reality of understanding the the sort of future therapy we all create for our children yeah. and <laughs> Oh, I'm so conscious of that. I'm like, oh, and actually, my daughter has died. I, I mean, I know it's TikTok American films at sort of 12, 13. She's asking for therapists. And I said, well, do you have something you want to talk about particularly? You don't need to tell me. No, I just think I'll feel lighter if I chat about stuff. I'm like, brilliant. Okay. No yeah. <laughs> it's quite amazing that, you know, that kind of um, slightly more mature, I guess, kind of acceptance of that that being okay whether even if it's from an American movie or or whatever it is but I just think it'd be nice if there was sort of you know we all need more emotional literacy which is why I talk about sort of permission to feel but it's not just about understanding our emotions it's it's about knowing how to metabolize those how do I process that what is what is mine through my own filters and where is it that I need to put in boundaries and things and I think the earlier that um people can understand that and that might mean therapy it might not it might you know if you if you've got that from a mentor at your you know rugby coach or something like that that's all good you know well and good but but the emotional literacy part is absolutely vital and that is so missing I think do you think that that's something that needs to be more integrated into the language in school or just even parenting or both or well yeah definitely I think unless we have unless we can sort of um emotionally unless we're sort of emotionally attuned ourselves and can understand and have that self-awareness ourselves then there's no way that we can have capacity to hear like I can't have capacity to hear my kids emotions if I'm like up to hearing my own emotions I just can't do it and I'll flip you know flip into you know my overwhelm um I think my struggle with the way that schools teach around you know that PSHE and well-being stuff now is that the 
is that they're getting a syllabus in order to teach us from from as I understand it I might be wrong yeah. rather than the parents get the sorry the teachers getting the help in their own emotional regulation and it's yeah. the same thing with the parents you know there's but again it comes to expectations doesn't it the the level of expectations that that schools are put under I mean I've read something about um a, you know in this week about a head her school had gone from outstanding to inadequate and you know she's she killed herself as a result you know so the level, yeah the level of expectation is massive the level of expectation as a parent is massive yeah um but the freer we can be I think through oh I'm feeling that and this is how I manage that or yeah oh, I'm feeling angry that's because of you know boundaries been crossed or you know I'm feeling lonely because you know, what like whatever it is yeah, yeah. I'm feeling empowered to do something about that myself. Then that yeah, that can be great for future generations to pass down. Well, it's creating the space, the safety, and the confidence, isn't it? I'm finding in job that I'm in at the university that the the general sort of system within within education, certainly higher education, is this there's, there's there seems to be the starts of asking about feelings. But what, what's happening is people are being asked their feelings, but then no one's doing anything with it. Yes. So I, I've created a new system that I'm, I'm say guinea pig, I, I am trialing, um, where it is my kind of roots and wings philosophy of like create a safe space, confidence, educate tools to fly. But then that does require a lot of extra work in a way and in, in, in an as you say an, an emotional sort of aptitude to to their needs outside of just um lecture style teaching and, and and understanding that their performance is not really just about their intelligence or no. even eq it's about their confidence and their understanding of who they are so we've done a whole level of work around their values and them understanding who they are and them being able to sort of understand their strengths and weaknesses their their purpose and their drive and all of these things that if they know that then then after that they can learn stuff and and if you teach from a space of you know even primary school kids are coming from all different situations at home then they're meant to all be in that room at the same space at the same level and learn this test on this and go through the robotic system but at higher education it seems they're starting to ask oh how do you feel about this but then once they've answered that there's no process or system to do anything about that so it's almost I don't know whether what you think even as a therapist that it's like not asking the questions and it being closed and covered up or asking it and exposing it and then doing nothing with it I'm not sure which is worse I don't know because the vulnerability has been exposed then and there's like it's kind of unstabilizing almost and and you know when you think about any sort of trauma like the, there's one thing that's you know the, the trauma itself the, the you know the thing that happens but it, it can be sort of like in inverted commas traumatic but actually it's the process that happens within and it's the yeah. not being able to share that and not that that not being witnessed which is actually the harder bit the you know that relational yeah. trauma that happens and yeah. I, you know, I mean, God, there's so much in that. If you want to talk, you know, talking about education and the different ways that, 
or the, the only ways in which we look at education, which is numeracy and literacy, really, that, that, that you know, whereas yeah. actually when you're neurodiverse and how many different skills you're bringing in and how are we helping kids with neurodiversity to learn in school and, and you know, and learn in different ways and actually teach us. <laughs> you know yeah, well well I found and especially now sort of going through that and understanding I've I've gone at teaching fully from a sort of inclusive as far as um typical diverse because of my own situation understanding what I had a lack of through my education but I think the solution seems to be at the moment that if if children are diverse it's just give them a computer or give them a different tool to use rather than trying to understand the differences in and actually the skills they have and them understanding that it is a superpower if they can harness that and understand what they need to build tools wise around it and I think as you say it's the education of the educators and those yes. above to yeah. understand how and, and I think with all the reduction of TAs and counsellors in even in primary school and secondary school teachers and well unfortunately or unfortunately will need to have more rounded skills as far as as human development not just intellect and educational development won't they I mean this is the only way that it can work if we're to keep developing and educating these humans that are yeah, I mean, I think Existing I think the, in this world. well, I think the difficulty is is that you know education is treated like a sausage factory, and actually it needs to be like a buffet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. you know, and and so yeah, everyone's you know they're trying to get everyone through this system and sort of survive out the other side, which yeah. which I sort of understand. But if you think that every single behaviour that a child has has a reason behind it, yeah. And, you know, in an ideal world, it would be being able to understand that and explore that with the kids because that would help with their own self-awareness. But I think also yeah. going back to like what you were saying about, you know, the students and their confidence. I remember from a really young age, I remember myself being in the hairdressers and not being able to say, I just want to take a drink of water. Like when I was in my teens, you know, all really yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, and so when the kids were very young, I, I was I never wanted them to kind of go through something like that so whenever we went to the hairdressers I get them to say what they wanted um and uh when they ordered at restaurants I'd you know I'd give them the, the sort of the voice to be able to do that yeah and they had complaints about their teachers I would go to the teacher and I would stand alongside them holding their hand while they said to the teacher this is what you did and it wasn't okay and I think mm. there's such tiny little ways in which we can basically say to the kid I see you for who you are and I'm going to support you in that that's really yeah. kind of but it's I mean you don't make that link like you're just ordering a pizza in a restaurant or now, yeah, now I'm yeah. talking about self-worth you know yeah but there are those tiny little things that we can do about how am I helping my child you know express himself like not in a super indulgent way where it's totally permissive I'm not saying that but it express themselves in a way that does build up their esteem yeah it's definitely the small building blocks and I think that well it's this it's even you know there's so many layers to it and the roots and wings sort of philosophy that I'm actually writing at the moment that you might be working on (laughs) um that but it's but it applies to parenting it applies to education it applies to employment and and I one of the things observing over time of doing a lot of mentoring and business coaching and even in my time down in Margate the small businesses it's also 
super important uh, within the whole building of a business empowerment of staffing and the, the roots and wings and, and and seeing the issues that different people are having but then also relationships and you know I've taught I may have already mentioned before but this idea of you know this dating app that's really aligning people based on their values rather than what they look like or what they do because it's mm. then that real foundation of actually we give a shit about you know you said you're you know setting your deal breakers and your things that you're you're not willing to sort of give in or give up for and, and having that within the relationship as a foundation rather than other things would be taking a completely different level isn't it it's that idea of in any relationship or situation building that safe space and confidence so that people feel empowered to um to, you know to, to it's just it's, it's ask for what they want what they need to to feel confident to take up space I see some of you know these young adults that are going through higher education and and some of them are you know yeah struggling with the idea of sort of taking up space and and that yeah. the kind of the, that it's okay for them to actually and that, that's really I, I see my biggest role within this job is is the empowering inspiring and motivating them to just believe that enabling it's not even the education it's the enabling yeah you do it we're setting a magazine up you're setting the magazine up I am a guide you know you're going to do it it's yours yeah you know and I think that's really missing isn't it yeah and just embracing the mistakes in that I know I know when I first started performing I'd say each poem really quickly because I was like that, like the idea of taking up space. And it was like, oh shit, now I've got space, but I need to say this as quickly as possible. So I'm not a nuisance. <laughs> and then I'll just get through it. And, you know, and and um, as my confidence has grown, taking the space sort of wasn't easy. But then I think for me, embracing the messy bits, the bits that weren't particularly um, compliant or people didn't quite get, and going well, like so, you know, I know you don't get it, but I do, and and so I'm going to just stick with that and see where that yeah. takes me. That does take confidence. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of creative people that are in that space, and I think even just reading books like Austin Cleon's books, you know, um, and other people's sort of uh, like Anne Lamott, who's a writer, and you know, just these other cheerleaders about creating. And expressing is vulnerable and um it is about taking up space and you're allowed to comes back yeah, to that that's thing. okay where's the fuck it button really the, yeah. the primary sort of purpose and i guess my mission with the fuck it button is it is just the permission to live and that it's yeah. okay and and you know letting go of the fear and overthinking shame and judgment and that yeah. you know life is life is short and and you are valued and that's that's really it isn't it I mean in 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 sort of reflecting all of this and looking at your biggest bucket buttons and 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 I guess having sort of evolved into where you are now are there any moments not in a regretful way but a more of a reflective way that in your past you wish you'd now knowing what it can do and how it feels that you wish you'd pressed your bucket button yeah I think well the whole I wouldn't have met my husband I wouldn't have my family bit aside yes I um <laughs> if I if I had hit this you are not a bad person for but you know if I hit this fucking button that would not have happened but I wish I'd had more confidence in my writing and I'd applied to you know somewhere like the BBC or something like that when I came out of uni I um or got go to work on radio um or in the performing field like I yeah. I just didn't, 
I just was, you know, and it's a, it's a hangover I still have. I don't deserve that. I don't get to do that, which I, yeah. you know, I have to battle through. Um, yeah, that would be something I would change. Giving yourself permission to believe in your, I guess it's passion and skills, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of that you're, I mean, the, the being good enough. I mean, I, you know, for sure, like my two big mantras at the moment are, I am enough, I'm worthy. And that, you know, that is, I have to. I do need to be saying that every day, you know, I, I, it's, yeah. it's, it's, and I don't, I don't see a day that I will not need to say that. Because yeah. I think it's something that's really, you know, as humans, certainly as women and mothers, even yeah. more layers on top of that. And I think, you know, especially, you know, once you've had children, you kind of, these humans that you've birthed suddenly kind of almost, uh you know we, we, we're kind of conditioned that they should be more important than us and I guess that then come, brings in the whole issue around self-care doesn't it you know that we put our kids first which then means we're not the best version of us to give back to them but it's a really difficult sort of battle that it is have. it's a tricky balance and I think it's whatever my conclusion is whatever works for you and your family is is as long as it does definitely work for you and your family you're not sort of a martyr kind of pinned against a cross somewhere you know <laughs> like um I mean or off pole dogs but that's great that's great like that's that's great. That's, that's great but that's what I mean what I mean is from sort of the martyr sort of element you know with yeah. like um I I mean because I've thought about this you know I now have work and though you know the writing's taking over a bit more now rather than sort of the one-to-one stuff and that's all been around sort of fitting that in around the family and I had that like question you know I I was a board director of Ogilvy by the time I was 29 I um in Ireland I packed it in when I was 30 when I had my first child like I just that like just fell off the edge of my career just fell off the edge of a cliff but that was my was it your choice or was it yeah, it was. It was because um, my husband had just started up his own company. You know, I had this demanding career as well. When the call came about, you know, we had we had our eldest in um, a crash. Where you know, if he was sick or if um, something was up, uh, you know, the call would come on to me. And you know, you can say, "Well, that's a masculine phone." The reality was he was starting up his business. He was the main breadwinner to say, well, we need to be equal and you need to go and do that. It's just not like for maybe for some people that's realistic. It wasn't realistic yeah. for us in our relationship. Yeah. Um, and I didn't like dropping my kid off at the crash for 12 hours every day to into a situation which just it just went against everything that I um, what I like, wanted to do. And, you know, and again, that's not saying that's any, you know, I kind of feel like I have to keep trying to like, top it all just... else, you know what I mean? <laughs> but that, was, that was what was right for me and what's right yeah. for me, you know, because people have said after I did Edinburgh, they're like, well, don't you want to kind of push that more and get, you could get, do you want to get an agent and go touring and things? And it's, it's like, n- no. And I think, like, is that me sort of like putting my kids there and sort of front myself like as an excuse because I'm afraid of doing this? It's, no, because I really love being at home with my kids and hearing what they have to say every day. And it pays yeah. off in our relationship. So I think, though, that, that you know, you've, you've kind of hit it on the head there, though, of saying, you know, every, it's it's what suits each each yeah. person and family, isn't it? And I think this this goes back to that whole comparing 
and making an assessment and judgment over your situation based on what other people do. I have, you know, fallen for that so many times. And I think especially, you know, I've been talking about it in the last few days. I mean, I my bonkers. I opened a shop whilst pregnant. I went back after a week with both, had the second one wow. 18 months later. It was my own business. They came with me, like, and then they were in nursery a bit. But would I have done it like that again? I don't, I mean, I'm now have no pelvic floor. That's one thing that I wouldn't have changed. <laughs> Breastfeeding, standing up for bloody months with both of them. That's not advisable. Yeah. Um, I can, I will never be able to go on trampoline again. But um, I think when we weigh up what's right or wrong, you know, even when I was down in Margate doing the renovation, I was working, I was doing up the house. I was Bob the Builder. He isn't. So was with the children. But even just like, though we'd decided what was right for us under that circumstances, even comments at the school gate and presumptive, you know, people like, oh, she looked out, didn't she? She'd been down in Margate. She's the one. Oh, you, the, the, the idea that he... They're his kids as well, you know, but the idea that I was the one that was away from them. I was working my tits off 12 hours a day so renovating a house for us. Yeah, but I love the agreement that our our partnership, our marriage, our family does not have to be socially acceptable to anyone else. <laughs> no, but it doesn't avoid the, the comments, though, doesn't it? So you've just got that to have that. It's making the decision for your situation, but then having the robust shell to it not the, let yeah. the commentary affect you, because I think... There will be judgments. There always is. And even, you know, bloody social media, you post whatever you post. And and even now people, you know, because they see what they see. Oh, well, you, you're down in market without the kids and you're pole dancing, you're doing this and that and you're not with. I'm like, that's not true. You know, I'm I'm with the kids a well, lot and no one knows. But you're well, just yes. justifying yourself. Yes, like, and it's great. Why am I justifying yes. it to you? I am in Margate and I am pole dancing. And yes, it's but great. I am without the children. They're teenagers. <laughs> Lucky me. Lucky but, me. But don't you think that, I think that, you know, when that envy or when those kind of snidey remarks come in, it's, you know, I think it's ignorance and it's jealousy, I imagine, you know? It's like... And, it's and, a well, reflection, it's, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's none it's, of my, it's, you know, it's none of my business. I've had that recently with someone someone's like saying a snide comment about what I do and someone was sharing that with me and they're like oh you know and the, you know it was around sort of me doing mental health stuff and um and kind of checking something out and the credibility of it from a, a, a from a mental health perspective yeah and the person said oh well, maybe she can write a poem about it you know? <laughs> honestly that's just so helpful isn't it that's a really helpful. and this person was relating this to me and and I and um she was like I went mad and I said like they can like that if that's and I was like well that's interesting maybe that's kind of how I'm coming across maybe that. I will maybe <laughs> <laughs> but also it's like but yeah and I'm okay I'm okay with where I'm at I'm okay yeah, yeah, yeah. with that and that's, well, that's the only the person that has to be that's the thing, isn't it? And I think that's that's the trick, which is not easy. But I think the idea, you know, it's, it's even I, I don't know if this is culturally or just more generally or gender. What you know, the, oh, oh, you look really nice. Oh, well, I only got this from Oxford. It was like this is from a chair. You know, it's like what rather than just say, yes, thank you. Don't I look fucking great? The Cheers. kindest thing you can do when someone gives you a compliment is receive it. Yeah, I definitely have learned that more recently. I mean, like that's, I think that's a tough one to, I think it, it completely makes sense when you say it out loud. But in that moment, we are so 
so shit at receiving compliments and I think it is a skill it, I think we presume I, I love giving compliments um I'm much I'm so much better now at taking them and like, I've got some friends I've known for a long time and a couple particularly and they're like god you just take the fucking compliment just take it because actually you forget that in not ex- accepting and receiving a compliment you're actually offending the person that's you giving are. it you're almost like devaluing their worth and well, their... it's just they're giving you a little yeah. gift they're giving you a yeah. little affirmation it's a little language of love you know they have yeah, this yeah. little affirmation no thanks <laughs> Oh, okay. it, it is really well, weird. Well, anyone again then, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you, you're so great at this. I'm like, oh, well, I'm not really. I kind of didn't mean to do it. I accidentally became fabulous. It wasn't on purpose. And it's, no, it's like, think it's, thank you. I've worked really hard at that. Thank you for noticing. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that there's any level of, of, of sort of gender in that? Or do you think that's just humans? We kind of just struggle with, do you think there's any element in your professional, I guess, experience that... Um. Yeah, I think we're much more conditioned as women to yeah. to doubt ourselves and to um, be self-deprecating much more. Do you think the martyr, the martyr kind of role is is easier for women? Do you think than I know men martyrs too. I don't think it's oh, easy. I, do. I don't yeah. think it's easier. <laughs> Might live <in> um, one. <laughs> I think it's more expected, and yes. and if you th- and I think when with men martyrs, then they that's an invitation for them to be mothered. You know, when when we're martyred, when we martyr ourselves, it's um, in in an expectation to be the mother. Whereas yeah. I think when men martyr themselves, it's to be mothered. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's minefield, isn't it? This thing called life. I know. <laughs> so many human so, things. Oh, it is, isn't it? In that, the navigation. There's no there's no sat nav that works. Um, Rule books. There's no bloody rule book. <laughs> it couldn't even be written, could it? Um, so we talked about when when you would, or maybe you, you think that you could have done in the past. How about sort of for you looking, I guess, presently and future when you hope that you will have the sort of strength and confidence to press your bucket button for you sort of moving forwards or, or sort of from now? I think I'm pretty good at pressing my bucket button. I think I have certainly in the last few years pressed it quite a lot, like going out to Edinburgh and doing that show all by myself. Well, that um, was, my, that, I'm sorry, I'm just going to stop you there before you <laughs> forwards. We're going to just quickly, like, let's let's just really discuss this because we we met about a year ago, actually, at the podcast yes. show. And yeah, we did. Like, meeting of minds or creativity. Oh, my God, I loved, of, can but, I just say, I loved seeing you so much that day you were dressed all in pink you had a pink turban on and you were eating, <laughs> eating pink shrimps and I can't remember what I can't I just like I am yeah and I just I don't know what I said when I, I was just like I need to know that person and I don't know if I was like made some quip about you being color coordinated with your sweet snacks or I don't know <laughs> always 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 and it was just because you're quite you're quite a vision to behold aren't you do you know what I mean like it would be quite I don't know. I'm sure people might say this that you. It could be quite intimidating. Like you, I, like, I think out. that. Yeah, you I think a, that I. You are don't. a bucket bun. You are you know a personification of a bucket bun. But you know, I think that that has been almost a bit of a until having the worth and boundaries, a bit of almost a cross to bear because I don't really think about it. I dress to express, not to yeah. impress. And so I wear what makes me feel happy or dopamine hit or whatever else. Yeah. And and I suppose 
I've had different situations because my self-esteem has always been quite low and not having the worth that I felt I've had different situations of almost the bullies in the playground that have kind of not embraced me and I've felt small and I've kind of I've taken that on board as being being my problem but I've never it, it, it hasn't at various situations occurred to me that it might be the other way around that actually they're intimidated and I've taken it on board rather than understanding I might there might be some level of intimidation or reflection of lack or, or anything and so I just don't think about it I'm like oh god that's my fault and I just don't think about it so when you tell think- me like this I'm like oh yeah Oh, mate, yeah, I forgot. I think that's quite a good self-selection tool because then I think the people that do approach you are probably your kind of people. Do you know what I mean? Because you're dressing, you're dressing to express, right? You're saying this is me, and then people come up to you and go. (laughs) That's always been the case, to be fair, with men, I suppose, as well. But I think that um, if you embrace the shaved head then then you're probably all right so we met at the podcast show you already had your podcast and I was just at the beginning of the journey so um we we met and you I think you knew you were you'd pressed your fuck it button and this maybe this is another fuck it button that you were as a therapist and writer as two things and obviously you have your podcast that you were taking it to Edinburgh Festival. And we did yes. a little series together, but that was, did, which that is, was a big which... deal. That was oh, big deal. my God. She performed on her own at Edinburgh Festival, having never done anything like that before. It was, you might say, a naive slash bonkers decision, but it was just brilliant. Yeah, no, so, I mean, I'd done, I had... So what happened was, like, the whole performing poetry thing really started a few years ago, in my hometown because there's a there's an open mic night and from that they paid me one night to do like to be this the guest performer if you like and that all felt very exciting and that gave me the confidence to do a show called light and life shadows which was to 45 people in my local town um as part of a festival here and then the following year I said well I'll do another well actually it was two years later because of covid I'll do another one and that was called stop the world I want to get off my top 10 reasons why I want to leave the planet and it all done through poetry. So it's so it's a storytelling, but through lots of different poetry. I mean, doesn't that sound like a blast? <laughs> and um, <laughs> whilst just, dressed in pink. <laughs> can I just say I had red shoes like Dorothy? I mean, I start I open the show with the world has gone to shit, and there's a poem in there called Poetry Makes Me Puke. So that's just to give some kind of idea of the kind of poetry that I do. And then people on that night were coming up to me and saying, you can't just leave it at that. Like, you've got to go and do something with it. Now, a rational person might have gone, oh, yeah, I'll try it out in the town next to me at their local festival. I went Edinburgh or bust. <laughs> it's like, I'll do Edinburgh. So I signed up. So that happened in October. I signed up in the January and then literally just panicked between there and August when I went on. I, you know, I was getting things through about what's your technical specification, you know, who, what's your production team? <laughs> and it's, it was literally just me. I did everything, the flyers, the promotion, the writing, well, the producing, the, the performing. <laughs> yeah, you saw the updates on Instagram. Scrolling the streets with just, the flyers. Yeah, just going, what am I doing here? So what did, I know... I know because we've spoken that you've said that you think you, you might not do that again. Do you, what what did you gain from doing that? And was there some level of sort of, yeah, I fucking did that, man. Like I decided I was going to do it, prepared, did it, and it was an experience or what's, 
what's the um, learning from it? I think I I think I'm still kind of I was I definitely like it was this sort of massive blooming. <laughs> it was definitely like this massive expansion and bloom, and I've definitely been receding a bit since. I think would I do it again? I wouldn't do it again in the same way. Like if I could find a director and come up with another show idea because it's quite funny like it's quite funny as well um then I would probably do it but then you know fitting everything in with everything else like that it's kind of tricky so I'll, I'll definitely do another show here in my town in September like I'll definitely do that um but what I took from it was I think there's always been that ping of wanting when people have ever said that, oh, you know, going to Edinburgh Festival, I performed at Edinburgh Festival. I was, it was part of that. I, I could, you know, I'd never get to do that. And I was like, well, I do get to, to do that. I can just do that show. I can just put it out there. And so was there proving it to yourself? It was more like it was or... more. No, it was more like it was more like this itch that I really needed to scratch. <laughs> oh, you scratched it. Like a, you scratched it. Was it was more a skin infection. Um, no, it was... It's full on dermatitis. Yes, just everywhere. <laughs> All that was huge. Um, yeah, it, was, it wasn't about... It was definitely not about proving it to people. It was about answering that, that little girl inside that said, um, look at me. Hey, not, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Not look at me, but... But not like, look at me. I can't quite describe it. It's an yeah. I am. Look at me, but kind of like not in a look at me way. Yeah, yeah. It was. Totally I'm an adult, but like not totally like a real adult. clear. Yeah, no. It was a. It was my am. My I amness. It was yeah. like this was. This is a full expression of my I amness. You know, I I am observant. I am analytical. I um, am a storyteller. I am funny, I am a poet, all of those things. And where can I express that? Oh, Edinburgh. Yeah. Well, so now you really do know uh, what, the, what the fuck it button um, feels like and, and, yeah. and obviously have pressed it a number of times. What advice would you give to the next guest, to the audience of what it feels like um, and why you think they should press their fuck it button. Well, <laughs> I think it's quite a process. I think you have to, like, you know, if you know, then you know that you need to press that button, right? So that's the first thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's the then, guess. Yeah. Then there's the emotional hangover, which you witnessed even before I went to Edinburgh, which is yeah. the what the fuck am I? <laughs> doing but but there's still that small little flicker that's going no you know you know yeah right and then I think there's the mistakey bit and I think that's a really important bit so if you're in the whole uh validation sort of side of it that this needs to mean something then when you make the mistakes which you will make because that is part of any fuck it button process um that might that you might beat yourself up about that if you take it in quite a humorous way of, oh, look at that. Oh, that, oh, so that's what happens when I do that. Yeah. And look, in the grand scheme of things, I'm this little beetle on earth. Does it really matter? Does yeah. it really matter if I do this and fuck it up? Yeah. Or will I answer that little voice inside that's saying, please, for the love of God, press the button. <laughs> 
I think that was a very good um, summary of, uh, <laughs> and I think, you know, we, we, we regret more of what we don't do than we, than what we do. And uh, I think sort of in the true spirit of life being short, it's, uh, you know, I, I guess one thing I found is accepting the potential outcomes of whatever they are, if it's the worst case, best case, if you accept any possibility of that, it really doesn't bloody matter because you've already, you know. Actually, that reminds me, I think, I, I don't know if I talked about it with you, but I this really helped because before I went to Edinburgh, it, I did do a show up in Wandsworth that um, I had 12 people at, which um, it was the day of the train strikes. I, you know, and this this could have taken about 60 people. <laughs> I was going to say 12 wasn't what you were aiming for. No, 12 was what I was aiming for. About yeah, five times that. And I, um, it was the day of the train strike. It was the, I was meant to be on a radio um, interview that got cancelled. I just got dropped off their list. Like, you know, they forgot about me. Um, and then lots of different people who said they were going to come started saying, sorry, I can't, I can't. And I think this is a mindset thing as far as the fuck it button thing goes, which was I thought, OK, how do I make the best of this situation? I thought I've still got 12 people turning up. OK, how do I shift this from a deprivation? Where is me mindset to an abundance? This is bloody awesome mindset. And I thought it's appreciating those 12 people. So I made elderflower cordial and raspberry muffins. And when it was the interval, we all sat down and chatted together. And I said to each of them, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Like being fucking humble. I still had 12 people. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, wasn't, you know, I wasn't there three years ago, you know, or four years ago. Yeah. It was. So, so having that, oh, my expectations were wild off the mark was so helpful. So when things go wrong in your fuck it button revolution, know that they're really the diamonds in the dust heap Phyllis advice was choosing to see what you have got not what you haven't yeah thanks, thanks so much Jackie. it's been great to chat to you um just there's so much in there I think um on so many topics and we could go on for ages because there's so many <laughs> ways that we could go with this but I can't wait to see you know where the next stages of your your journey with well, any of the portfolio passion projects, um, <laughs> whether it's the therapy, the poetry, the writing, the any of the above. Um, and I think it's really just, you know, shows you can, you can do it. Um, and it's a combination of bucket button belief and an acceptance of, of any anything that can happen. And, and life is just bloody short, isn't it? It's a bucket. Yeah, yeah. fuck it. Thanks for listening. We hope that some of what you've heard today has inspired you to live in the present, focus on the joy, and know that you've only got one life. So fuck it. Press your fuck it button and join the revolution. Pod people.